Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. Few people could have predicted at the start of the pandemic that we'd have multiple vaccines in the market and the global community would be looking towards reopening. While not as high profile as the vaccines, these projects have worked through and learned from the disruption to explore opportunities for improvement and ensure our health services continue to evolve. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge the lands to which we're meeting today and pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. The great thing about being a surprise speaker is that I can push the boundaries to my talk a little. So, so I think this session is supposed to be, I think, research and innovation despite of the pandemic. But what I really want to emphasize is that, you know, there's a lot of research and innovation because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, I think we could push the boundaries a little and we get to talk to people that are not normally inside our sphere. And I think that's really where innovation and research gets generated. So first of all, I'd like to play a little bit of a dangerous game because I think after lunch, we're a little bit quiet. So what do you think are the essential elements to innovation? I'd like some ideas from the floor. One word idea. Any essential elements to innovation? It's urgency. Great answer, yeah? Chaos. I love chaos, yes. Anything else? Creativity, well done. Anything else? Commitment, enthusiasm, really positive ideas. I was actually expecting some negative, you know, more cynical ones. So this is a great crowd. Madness is a matter of perspective, isn't it? Genius and chaos. So let's go through them. So what are some of the great philosophers say about innovation and, and research? One of them is creativity. And that is the core idea of innovation, I think, that gentleman there. Is it Jamie? Thank you, Jamie. Anxiety is the handmaiden of creativity. And I think a few of those ideas touch on that about chaos and genius, madness and urgency. That creates anxiety. When we are anxious, we're thinking about how do we need to do things differently? Do we do it differently because we need to think about it differently ourselves to cope? Or is there something in the environment that we need to be doing differently about? That is the first. In addition to creativity and anxiety, the great neurologist Oliver Sacks also talked about, we need a little bit extra special stuff. It takes a special energy over and above one's creative potential, a special audacity or subversiveness to strike out in a new direction once one is settled. So I think there's a lot of ideas that we need to unpack here. 
So most importantly, it talks about it can't just be creative potential because we're all quite creative people. We need commitment. We need to you know, think about doing things differently. We need to, that subversiveness to strike out in a new direction. So that is transitioning from being creative to actually doing. Next one, it's Eric Fromm, a great philosopher and a psychoanalyst, one of my favorite. Talk about creativity requires the courage to let go of certainties. So, you know, we need to think about going above the expectations, what we can expect to happen tomorrow. We need to let go of that. We need to kind of, you know, have that courage to embrace uncertainties and differences. And that is really critical. That little bat from Wuhan unleashed all of that for us and created a really perfect environment for innovation. Now, first of all, anxiety. I think we all agree there was a lot of anxiety, both in terms of from the health system perspective and health service delivery perspective, but also personal perspective. I'm sure a lot of us had a lot of you know, anxious days about are we going to go into lockdown? What are we going to do about childcare? There was a lot of anxiety in the air. There is no doubt of that. There's also a lot of subversiveness in the air as well. All of our decisions are being questioned in the media, at the dinner table, at the breakfast table. We all scrutinize and have debates about, and, and great constructive debates about why are we doing things in certain way? Do we need to be doing something differently? There was all that in the air. And lastly, it's about let go of uncertainties. I think we all agree over the last year or so, there was no certainties. There was a lot of uncertainties every day. You know, we, we go to the supermarket sometimes and there's not even toilet paper. I mean, how could you have certainties when you're not even sure there's toilet paper on the shelves? So I think, you know, we can all agree that the pandemic created a lot of essential ingredients for innovation. And that happens at a very personal level too in our everyday life. It doesn't matter where you work, what you work, if you work. There is innovation everywhere. So I'd like to introduce you to one of my friends, dear grandpa or pa Bill, hater of technology, will not use it. Through the pandemic, he learned how to use FaceTime. He learned how to use QR code. He can now download apps himself to communicate with Omar in um, the residential aged care facility. I mean, sure, the learning process was challenging, but the outcome of that, it's really beneficial for him and for the family. Speaking of bill, there was no split bills before the pandemic. Don't even try to ask. But now, because we have QR code technology, when you go to a bar, some bars, you can split bills 50 different ways. You can order whichever way you want. You don't even have to line up at the bar. The innovation was there, and I hope it's there to stay. So parking innovation aside, there's a lot of innovative ideas. There were a lot of people trying different things to make the pandemic easier. Now, going into research, thinking about you know, the pillars of research, why do we do research? In terms of research, there are three main pillars of research that we do. So first of all, it's uh, new interventions to improve individual health outcomes. And I think there was a lot of presentations today about that that we hear about. There is sustainability of health services. 
So thinking about you know, how do we make the health service more efficient and how do we improve access for consumers? And then also commercialization in industry partnership that we haven't done that much, but it was quite clear from COVID, from the pandemic, that it has been quite helpful for some countries that you know, we might be doing more of. Underpinning all of that, it is about how to improve the patient experience and outcomes. And that is why we do research. I'm not going to focus on you know, one of those innovations, but I want to showcase a collection of research and innovation because of the pandemic. So first of all, I think on that little thing there, it's the mRNA vaccine, which we all heard a lot about. It is a groundbreaking technology. It's the first mRNA vaccine that has been designed and manufactured. I think that's going to really change the game in terms of vaccine development that we hear a lot about. You know, malaria vaccines, HIV vaccines, it's now within the grasp that we can be talking about. So it's very exciting stuff. The second one here is a project that we call the Theograph Project. It's a digital patient journey. What we have done is longitudinally, we have mapped the patient health service utilization through the course. So you can see what long COVID looks like. So for example, Jamie, who's sitting up the front, if he has COVID, his trajectory in terms of health service utilization may be quite different to me. And we need to map that out across the journey to understand how does COVID really impact different individuals and how do we do targeted interventions for that? And that's quite useful for vaccine efficiency tracking as well. So we have got populations who've had Pfizer as the first dose and then Asia as the, as the second dose or the other way around, actually more of them the other way around. We can look through their trajectory in terms of what does it change in terms of a health service utilization? If some of them have COVID afterwards, does that change what their experience is? So moving through in terms of health system utilization, I think a lot of you heard me talk about COVID barometer, which we're transitioning into health barometer. What it really is, is that it combines health service data and, and mobility data and also expenditure data to track at a regional level. What are people behaviors like? You know, are they active? Are they not active? What are their expenditure habit at a macro level is like? It's really the temperature gauge at a regional level. Underpinning the barometer, there's also the SEIRD modeling that we hear about earlier. Understanding mobility and how that impact transmission process as well. I think we all kind of know about the explosion of virtual health technologies that we're now using, not just in Queensland Health Services, but GP services as well. I'm assuming some of you probably, or a lot of you, have used telehealth GP appointments over the last year and, and hopefully have found that convenient and will stay. And that's really going to improve the access for health services. The interoperability of different information system has really come into focus through the pandemic. So the need for check-in data, real-time analytics to inform policy and decision-making, I think it's something that is quite new and now we are used to and experience the benefits of and hopefully is going to be here to stay. 
Going back, one of the pillars that I missed is the industry and research partnership. While in Queensland, we haven't done a lot of that yet, it was quite clear from the pandemic, particularly through Israel and how they have partnered with Pfizer, how industry partnership can be quite important to improve public health for the population. So when we do research, why are we doing all these different research pieces? Not just because it's cool and exciting, it certainly is, but it's really about a learning and knowledge-based system for us. And underpinning the learning and knowledge-based system is the clinician and patient relationship. Through that, we collect aggregated data, generate insights and knowledge, and that would improve our clinical intelligence, our business intelligence, our public health intelligence, and the quality of the research. From all those pillars, that generates improved insights, and that goes back to benefiting the clinician and patient relationship, and how do we deliver healthcare better as a system. To achieve the learning and knowledge-based system, is data, and I think you guys probably have heard a lot about you know, the use of data today, and, and that will continue. The data is the, the fuel to drive this overall engine to enable us to do machine learning, AI analytics that we talked about from the sepsis program, for example, um, genomics and other nomics, dynamic consent, diagnostics, precision health, precision medicine, and also really to look at how do we link that to internet apps and wearables. We all have smart watches. Wouldn't that be great if some of that data could be linked to our own health information? I mean, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? So that really, to do all this work, this is really where we are driving towards. I want to end back on innovation on the last slide, because to drive research activities, innovation is really what we need. I think a lot of the times we think about you know, innovation as this eureka moment where Archimedes comes screaming out from the bathtub naked and with this grand idea that innovation is something a genius comes up with. That is actually not true. In one of the recent books from Stephen Johnson about the history of innovation, he challenges this idea and it's about Innovation is actually a slow, gradual, and very networked process where you have slow hunches, and then you cultivate these slow hunches to commitment and completion. And it's really through exposure to different thinking, different ideas, different quandaries. And I think the platform we have today is an excellent environment to which we can cultivate these ideas and network together to drive our research and innovation agenda towards the learning and healthcare system. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.